From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a serial entrepreneur and business coach about the time she decided, why not me? How that attitude took her all the way to Harvard, and what happened when her priorities shifted away from law school and towards staying at home with her kids. Sippy Gross is the kind of accidental friend you make when pursuing a business relationship. You know the type. When you decide that it's a good idea to connect with someone professionally, and then you hit it off on every single level. That's me and Sippy. I'm glad I got a chance to interview her because I learned a few fun facts about my friend that I would not have had the pleasure of finding out otherwise. I think that at some point I became very fiercely driven and independent, and I don't really remember before that. (laughs) How old do you think you were when you became super driven? I think somewhere around like 12, 13, but like really, really got heightened at somewhere around 16. And did you see this like from your, from your schooling? Like, were you super competitive about tests and like always wanted to get a hundred? No, actually, that's the really funny thing is that as a kid, I was not at all like very into school. Like, I don't know why. I just like did not think I could do so well. I wasn't, I wasn't very academic in terms of like math and science. I more loved like literature and language and all that stuff. And at some point, like this is like, this was like my turning moment was when I was like 16 years old. I some, for some reason, I was just like chilling in my bed and I was like, I sat up and I was like, what if I decided that I want to go to Harvard? Like, why can't I? Like, who said I can't? Like, why do I have it in my mind that I can't? And that, like, that was literally the turning point for my life. <laughs> I don't That's know where amazing. that came from, but <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So, like, just woke up one day and decided, why not me? I literally, it's like the weirdest thing. It was like a, a thought popped into my mind and I was like, what if I want to go to Harvard? Like, why can't I? And then like everything changed. Like I just saw myself differently. I started doing my stuff differently. I started working differently and like just was one track mind to get to that goal. What kind of things did you do differently? I think I started taking myself seriously and I started taking my studies seriously. And I started, I stopped like just saying like, oh, this is too hard for me. Like I was just like, okay, it's hard. Like I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I just, I don't know. It's like a weird thing. I, I can't even tell you why this happened, but I just remember that day so clearly. That's no, that's awesome. I think that we have sometimes those events that kind of happen only in our heads, but they're so important to how we see the world and how we see ourselves. Yes. yes. So did you go to Harvard? Totally. So I did actually, I did spend some time at Harvard. Um, I didn't finish my degree there because I actually wanted to be in a different environment, but I loved every second of being there. I can't believe that I've known you for this long and I didn't know that you went to Harvard. I went there for like two semesters, um, like in between like courses and stuff like that. And I, I really, really loved it. You got <laughs> I really, accepted really to Harvard. That's a major accomplishment. Yes, it was. How really did I cool. not know this about you? <laughs> because I didn't graduate from Harvard. So I don't like, okay. it's not like something I'm like, oh, hey, I went to Harvard. You know what I mean? Well, you did like, go to that, Harvard. I, I would say I went to Harvard. You know okay, what? I officially give you permission to, to say that you went to Harvard. I will officially say that. It's something I needed to do for myself. It was really awesome. And like, I knew I could, like, I just needed to know I could do it. That's it. Okay. I totally hear that. It was what, awesome. uh, what, what did you major in for those two semesters? 
So actually, I focused a lot on um, public speaking, current events, foreign policies, and I was actually a big part of the debate team there. <laughs> that's amazing. So yeah, it was really great. That's very fun. So then after you were in, after you were in Harvard for those two semesters, what did you end up doing? Are you, I'm not speaking to Tippy, the world-renowned debater. So <laughs> take, take me through the journey. Um, you know what? I've always gravitated towards like debate, public policy, foreign policy, politics, um, public speaking. Did I say public speaking? Um, and all that stuff. It's just like something I always loved. Like I always thought I would be a lawyer. And somewhere along the journey, I changed that desire. And the reason it's actually hilarious because I was in seminary in Israel. Like I went after high school to study for half a year, for, for a year and a half of overseas. And I was just discussing, you know, with my mentors, what I wanted to do with my life. And one of my mentors said to me, he's like, you know what? I know you want to be this big shot lawyer. Like, why don't you go and visit with a bunch of big shot lawyers and just talk to them and see if this is the life you want to live. And I was like, okay, that's a really great idea. So I made some appointments with some specifically like mom, big lawyers that were actually living in Israel because I wanted to see like how they could, they're like, you know, my mentors were like, you can't balance being a mom and having family and like, you know, making your whole entire life law. And I was like, Okay, so I really went in with an open mind, and I remember the day that I decided not to go to law school was when I met with one lawyer, and I met a couple of them, and they all kind of said the same thing, and she's like, you know, I've automated my life. I have my outfit every single week set out for Monday, and it's the same outfit every Tuesday and the same outfit every Wednesday. She's like, I've taken all choice out of my life so that I don't have to think about the little things, and all I can do is focus on my practice and my family, and I just like... I don't think about dinner. I don't think about cleaning the house. I have everything automated. And I just remember looking at her and being like, that sounds so boring and horrible. I do not want your life at all. And I laugh now because I would love that life so much, like to not have to get up every morning and think about what to wear and just like be able to focus on only two things. And it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. No, as you're describing it, I'm le as you're describing every, every decision is made for me and I don't have to think about supper <laughs> and I don't have to think about all the little things happening around that sounds lovely that yeah sounds... she looks every monday we have meatballs my cook makes them i don't think about it every and like the same thing every shabbos and at the time i was like oh my gosh that's all i mean you know us creatives like when we're young we're like what do you mean you have no passion in your life like all you do is go to work that's horrible but now it sounds like a dream <laughs> yeah it does sound like a dream and it doesn't sound like she has no passion it sounds like she has directed her energy towards the things that she is passionate about she is yeah, not but, passionate yes. about supper i am not passionate about cooking supper every night it drives me nuts takeout is a miracle so at the time i was really passionate about cooking supper every night <laughs> okay so that really did not speak to my brain and passions but change yeah. Yes. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Passions, passions change. Also priorities change. Like there was a point in my life when I would create something almost every day, whether it be sewing or painting or something like that, that would be, Ooh. it was mainly when I was in high school, I was always making things and it was really important huh. to me to always be making That's things. That's nice. Yeah. 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 And like, I can't tell you the last time I sat down in my sewing machine. It was the Aww. last time I was developing a collection, which was months ago. And wow. th and that's just the way that the cycle of my business runs is that I develop collections and cycles and I've been in the like production selling 
cycle for the past two, three months. And that's where my energy has been going. And, and, and that's fine. that creating that is creating too, because you're creating differently. You're just not creating something tangible that you could touch, but you're still creating, which is really cool. I guess so. It's still creative. I would say it doesn't feel like creating Definitely. to me in the same way, oh, just because I am a super tangible person. Like I, like okay. I make okay. clothes, I wear them like that. And that's very you can touch and feel that. You can um, feel that, right. Yeah, That's exactly. It, it just feels much more real than like putting together a marketing campaign, which is still real, but is just not nearly as satisfying to me. Oh, that to me is creating too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, so that awesome. you, that like, that feeds you also. And to me, I like it. Um, I like it more for the fact that like through my campaigns, people learn about my clothes. That's the part yeah, that's exciting okay. to me, not exactly. the actual content of the campaign. That to yes, me, I, I find understand. like very tedious. Um, mm, but it, listen, it's a, it's an important part of keeping my life and my business running, and it and it still Correct. has to get done. So after you left Harvard, what did you do? You you don't so, go to law school. I did not go to law school. I ended up going through a to a small school in Baltimore because I the reason why I moved is just because I wanted the environment. I wanted to be with like minded people in my religion and my friends. So I ended up moving to Baltimore. And in the process, I actually got married and ended up finishing my degree in Israel, which is hilarious because I always said I will not be one of those people who finishes my degree with these online schools. And then I ended up finishing my degree in an <laughs> online school. My priorities shifted and I was just laughing at myself. <laughs> well, yeah, listen, like you said, priorities shifted. Um, you know, you um, did you spend the first year of your marriage in Israel? We spent the first eight years of our marriage in Israel, yeah. That's a long time. So, yeah. yeah. And if you're dealing with American degrees and American credits, then you're exactly. doing it online. So we did it online and no regrets looking back. And I think that the reason why I have no regrets looking back is because I think it's, was, it's important for me to have proved to myself that it's not just like, you're not your degree. Like you could still achieve what you want to in life with some online diploma. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't think I would have believed that going in. <laughs> yeah, no, I certainly, when I started college would not have believed that. And after my first, pretty much halfway through my first semester, I realized that I was completely and utterly wasting my time and I found college right. so, so frustrating. I did finish it because I had a full scholarship. So mm, if I would have left, amazing. then I would have lost the scholarship. Like yeah. I, I had obligations to the program. Um, so I did ultimately end up finishing it, but I found college to be a lot less glamorous than I thought it would be. Like I, and, and I love learning, but I was just, I was so antsy to get my business off the ground and to get things started oh, wow. that I didn't really appreciate the learning aspect of it that, you know that makes it mean? so like interesting that, oh yeah that makes a lot of sense it, it just didn't feed me in that way and it was all I could do to just like get out so quickly that was oh my basically gosh. my goal was just to finish <laughs> just just be done um oh wow so so I know I know you now we we met each other through the fashion industry we're both in fashion mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. me with impact fashion you with Hava Tribe and I know that Hava Tribe was not your first business and Correct. I know that it's like it's, I mean, it's this company that's, that's doing well and, and all of that. So how did you get to Hava Tribe and how did Hava Tribe get off the ground? This is actually a really interesting question. And I kind of would love for your listeners to like, you know, like, I, I guess there's like a great lesson to impart to the listeners at the end of it, which is um, what actually ended up happening is that I first became certified as a business coach. That was what, you know, after I decided not to do the law school route, I was like, I still, I loved I just wanted to do something in a similar realm. And I looked at a whole bunch of different options and I fell in love with coaching. I just 
I loved it. I've always been very much into like personal growth and development and like really figuring out like people's strengths and how to use the best of you in every way and just make your life better. And I loved something about the corporate feel. So I decided to just go and become educated in that. And again, there was a lot of like public speaking and debating and all that kind of stuff that I always loved as part of this curriculum. And after I finished my studies, I was like, you know what, I kind of feel like a fraud because I've never started my own business. And here I am coaching other people who have their businesses. And I don't know what I'm talking about, which by the way, is not true. Like to be a good coach, you really just need to be able to know the right things to ask and say and how to guide your client. But I just felt like I would be much more powerful if I had started my own business, which is hilarious. And like, I look back at it now and I'm like, wow, like here I am back to where I wanted to be 10 years ago, (laughs) except like I've started all these businesses in the process, which is so funny. So basically like what I would love to impart to everyone is like, whatever it is that you want to do, like go do that. Like you're good enough. You know enough. You'll learn on the way. Like you don't need to have all these credentials and things and everything else on the way, but whatever. That's just like, you know, on the side. Side point. So um, the other thing also that I want to mention is that I, after have, like starting to have children, I have like really, really complicated and difficult pregnancies. And I'm just like out for the count for an entire year, every single time when I'm pregnant. So when I'm done being pregnant, I'm like, I'm not sending this tiny baby out to some like babysitter where like kids are like getting coughed on and whatever. Like I worked way too hard to have this baby. Like I wanted something that I could do at home. So that's kind of where the whole like let's start businesses thing came in um, because I just didn't like leaving them. I just, for the first few years. Um, so, so then, so I started like a couple of different businesses while I was living in Israel. One was, I always loved like cooking and baking and cake decorating and all that stuff. So the first business I started was we, I just sold like products, like, like high end baking products, which is kind of like a thing people do. I don't know if you, are you familiar with that? It's like a thing sure, people like do Sure, like the overseas. fancy cakes and cookies and stuff. It wasn't the cakes and cookies. It was more of like the stuff to decorate them with. Does that make oh, sense? Oh, so like yeah. the frostings and the, the and frosting, like the candy the eyeballs and that kind of thing. The candies, the the food colorings, like all the, the high quality cocos and all those different kinds of things, like fondant. And, you know, I could have gone and given classes, but I was like, I don't really want to just like have that stress. I just want to be able to like, Oh, have hours people come they leave like I didn't want to have to start making so a mess were you, up I'm, like if you're selling something like fondant were you making the fondant or were you buying it and reselling it so no we would buy like these ginormous tubs and then we would repackage them and sell them and that was basically it I would buy it in wholesale and then repackage it myself okay so that was interesting um, not very fulfilling, but interesting. And definitely like my first foray into marketing and creating like a brand and a name. And then that actually translated for some reason overseas or in Israel, people are really into nuts. Like it's, it's like a weird thing. I can't yeah. explain it. No, I but, remember from uh, my year in Israel, like people just walk you? around with these giant bag of bags of nuts. Nuts. So they would like come and they would be like, Hey, do you have like this kind of nut, that kind of nut? I was like, not really. So we started selling nuts. And then once we started selling nuts, we were like, okay, every weekend when they celebrate the Sabbath, Shabbat, they all buy nuts, like fresh nuts. It's like a thing, fresh nuts, every Shabbat, every Shabbat. So we started selling like a store 
front, kind of like in our house where we would just sell nuts. Like we would bring in wholesale nuts every Friday and people would come and buy them. That kind of just like led to adding candies. And then we started having a popcorn machine. And then at some point we added baked goods. And it's, so and you have a store like, in your house. So I had a, a weekend store in my house. And at some point I was like, okay, this is insane. Like there are too many people in my house. I can't handle this. So we ended up moving to a storefront for a couple of years. And that was really interesting. <laughs> Where was the storefront? It was in my neighborhood. We would rent a space. Like it was just a weekend store because people would generally buy these things more for the weekends. So it was like Thursdays and Fridays. So we would basically spend the entire week preparing. And then, th- and I was like baking and making food and we were catering. I mean, we had a catering service going on at the state. It was like a lot of stuff going on at the same time and then Thursday and Friday were our main, main sales days. That's very cool. So I'm assuming that all this had to end when you left Israel. Correct. We ended up selling our business and moving. Okay. And then And I was to- not too sad about that because while I loved like we I mean the businesses were not very old when we left and they were really like doing pretty well and however it was a lot of physical labor. Like that's the part I really didn't like was like the every week like starting again with the cooking and the baking and the schlepping and, you know, setting up and cleaning up and all that. It was like a lot. And I was like, there's like, this is not necessarily the life I want to live long-term. And had I stayed, I would have continued doing that. Right. So and also it sounds like if you're only setting up the store on the weekends, that means that you need to reset it up every week. We reset it up. And then in between was catering. So like the cook, like, you know, the, I mean, I know that people who like absolutely love catering, like totally go do that. But for me, like just the, the the fact that like I could only make as much as I bake or cook like right. that's as much as I could sell I can't sell past that so I was like that's a very limited business model and I mean you could obviously like develop into a bigger business and have staff and we did but it was still like whatever you guys could put out is all you could sell so right it, was just it sounds to me like that's would be the appeal of fashion to you because you make in fashion yes. you make one sample and then somebody else sews it a hundred times Yeah, fashion was a whole different world. And it was definitely way easier because I mean, food doesn't I mean, clothes don't spoil, you know, like, it's not like you're gonna if you have if you're whatever we were done with on Friday afternoon, like that was it, like we were donated. um, But that was definitely like, if if anything was left, it was a loss, whereas clothing, it's not the same. So yeah, that was definitely a big appeal. For sure. That that makes perfect sense to me. So you move back to the States. Did you move to where you live now in Detroit? Yes, we moved. Yes, we moved to Detroit. Okay, so you moved to Detroit, and then you start Hava Tribe, which I know is so your I great didn't mom brand. You didn't I didn't immediately. immediately. I first, um, actually, we were recruited here by um, a, like a wonderful organization, and I spent the first few years here, like my husband and I were both hired by them, so we did some work. It was like community building work, and then what happened was when I got pregnant again and had to stop <laughs> for an entire year. Uh, when it was time to go back to work, I was like, let's do something that where I could keep the baby home. I don't have to have, you know, any set, set hours or anything like that. So that's when I was like, huh, I should start a company again. We should do that again. I love how your default what? is. Most people's default would be like, okay, I had to take this year off to have this baby. And now I'm going to go find a job. And your default is I have to take this year off to have this baby. Now I'm going to start a company. I'm going to yes. guess just based on what I know about you, that you spent that entire year dreaming up company ideas. Correct. Yeah. See, I, I, I know, <laughs> I already knew that that, that, that was what happened. Um, and Hava Tribe is this great 
um, this great mom brand. It's uh, nursing friendly and just mom friendly clothes. Um, that all the thing that's really innovative about them is that um, almost every piece that you sell has either a zipper or a flap or a button um, so that you can nurse a child without needing to take the dress off. Now, I've never been pregnant or nursed a baby, but I can only imagine how inconvenient it is to basically need to undress every time you want to feed your child. Very unpleasant. Very yeah, unpleasant. like and also just annoying to just. I'm annoying. imagining like even when I go shopping and I take my clothes on and off just to try stuff on. That's annoying. Having to take your clothes on and off all day just to nurse. It just sounds very annoying. Yeah. So you you start this company and it and and that's how I know you now. Correct. Um, and what I love is that you're someone who has all of this experience with all of these different businesses and starting all of that, and now you're going back to where you started with you know yeah business coaching I mean what ended up happening was actually it's funny that you said about like you know when you were pregnant you were probably dreaming up all these businesses I've actually found that this is a huge trend within my actual Hava Tribe community is people have babies and they're like we don't really want to send them to daycare how can we start our own business so I was getting a lot a lot of questions so I was like you know what this is what I do anyway like this professionally what I'm trained in so why don't I go back to that and I started doing some coaching on the side and as I got more and more into it I just loved it I mean this is my passion right this is what I chose to do um and so yeah now I'm definitely like making that a lot more of a bigger part of my life and I love it so it's what's interesting I think is that like when you said that you started out in coaching and then decided that you know I need to go get my experience the imposter syndrome sets in hard and it's you know I'm not qualified I can't do this this is not for me and then you you go and you get all this experience and you end up right where you started do you feel like you're a better coach now than you were when you first started? Honestly, I think that I would have been just as good of a coach because I think that instead of spending 10 years learning business, I would have spent 10 years learning psychology, which I anyways do anyways, but it was like a lot of business as well. Um, I think that a big draw is that people like the fact that I've had all these businesses because they can ask me, meaning a coach is more of where like I would draw the answer out of my client and lead them to where they want to go, which is much more powerful than me just telling them things. But I do find that in my line of work, I do attract a lot of entrepreneurs and they do ask specific questions. So it's like a little bit more of a consulting basis, but I do try to keep away from that because they can find a consultant anywhere. Like, you know, so, so the answer is, I think, do I think I'm a better coach now? I think that I'm a better well-rounded person. I think I've learned a lot. I think I've gone through a lot of things. I think I've learned how to grow brand. I think that there's a lot of things, but I, I kind of think that I would have still been able to develop the same coaching skills. So it's actually, so it is funny, but I am grateful for every single one of those experiences because I don't know that I would have had the courage to do what I'm doing now. Right. And I think that's also just you know, a, a great lesson to to pull out. And that is you, y- yeah, you come with different life experiences than if you would have been a business coach these past 10 years, but ultimately you're the same coach and you have those skills that you're still using with all of your clients. And the, you know, that imposter syndrome that set in when you first started was really just that it wasn't. And usually when we deal with imposter syndrome, it's not really based on facts. It's based on our own insecurities. It's based on our yeah. own feelings of being less than. And, and that's, and and your story really proves that. 
Oh yeah. And, and it's great because like my, I, I see this with clients like so much that people are nervous. People feel like, well, what they think is, can I really do this? Will people think that it's okay? And I always like say, you're the only one standing in your own way. And I mean, just to give you an example, when I started my clothing brand, I'm not a fashion designer. You know that I call you with questions all the time. This is and, true. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to want my buy my clothes. They're going to think I'm not a real designer. They're not going to know they're going to this, they're going to that. And it was only my taking ownership of saying like, Hey, I could do this. I got this. This is going to work. Like everybody else was so happy and supported the whole time. Like I didn't have anyone be like, wait a second. Like, I can't, like nobody said that other than me. It was only my only own voice holding me back. Yes. So I tell that to clients all the time. Like if you want something, like don't wait to be invited. Like if you want to be speaking somewhere, don't wait to be invited. Go create your own thing. Like you're the only one holding yourself back. Everyone else is like, oh, cool. You do that. Great. Okay. How can I sign up? Like they're not like sitting there nitpicking. Right. So, no yeah. one's, no one's checking your credentials. No, no. Yeah. I, I totally hear that. Is there a certain, is there a common like stumbling block that you find your clients get stuck on? I find, so my clients tend to be very creative. Um, I generally work with entrepreneurs, professionals, and leaders, and they're trying to do big things in the world. And that comes with a lot of anxiety, like a lot. And it's, it's very pervasive. And it's, it's funny because a couple of weeks ago, I realized I was like, because I, I was just talking to my husband about this. He's like, there's some sort of like, something in you which is causing you to want to create so like you're feeling some sort of unrest and it's a good it's not necessarily a bad unrest it's a good unrest because you're like wanting to make something happen in the world but there's also another part of that where there is some unrest inside of yourself for sure and a couple of weeks ago I was like you know what like it gets to me it does get to me like they it does get to me when I speak to a client they're very anxious so I started taking actually recently like a whole bunch of courses on anxiety and how to handle it and things like that so that I could help my clients more because it's 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 a huge trend yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. It is very stressful to start a company. It is even more stressful to run a company. Um, and, and it's it, not only a company, any leadership role, anytime you're asserting yourself, anytime you're starting to create something bigger than you, anytime you're going out of your safe zone, you are like, oh my gosh, what if they don't like it? What are they going to think of me? What are they going to say? Can I do this? Like you're no longer in your familiar territory. And that creates a lot of anxiety for people. Yeah. So what, what is something that you recommend that your clients do to manage their anxiety or work through I, it? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's so many things. And I, but the one thing that I would say is that I really, really focus on my clients working on themselves, on becoming more well-rounded, wholesome, happy people and not needing their business to be all they are or not needing whatever it is that they're trying to impact be all that they are. I want them to just be happy and create from a place of inspiration because when you create from inspiration, magic happens. And when you create from stress and pressure and I have to get this out, it's not so good. It's not so good. So when they, I want them to feel like what they are doing is bubbling up from inside of them and just welling up and coming out as opposed, as opposed to them slowly and difficultly pushing the snowball up the hill. Like that's not where I want them to be. You could create from that place and it will work, but it will come with a lot of stress. So I definitely work a lot on, on self first. Right. Is there something specific like an exercise or something that you have your clients do to help them get closer to that place? 
that's a good question. I mean, I, I mean, listen, there's a lot of, like, I do like tapping, like there's different kinds of tapping, which is called EFT. And you could watch videos on YouTube about it, about it. I heard about it from Sarah Khanna Radcliffe, who is a psychologist that I really love um, learning from. And there's different kinds of tapping. There's tapping in, there's tapping out. There's and so that is generally really helpful. And the reason why is because it releases a lot of your anxiety from your subconscious mind. Um, can I get scientific for a second? Please do. Okay. Um, people hold a lot of their stuff in their subconscious mind. 95% of your beliefs and everything you are is in your subconscious mind. See, only 5% of your brain is actually thinking. So we try to change who we are and how we do things just by that 5% of our brain. But 95% of your brain, you can't even talk to because it's all subconscious. So it's like, that's the one that's holding on to your anxieties and your resistance and all that kind of stuff. So you have to be able to get to that part of the brain. Now, when people start feeling anxious, what do they start telling themselves? Like if, let's say you're like, my collection is going to be late, Rifki. Like, right? Your collection's coming late. Like here, we've got everybody's collections are late, delayed from China because of coronavirus. So like if somebody came to you and they were to say like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. My collection is coming late. Like, what would you say to them? Um, honestly, I've been thinking a lot about this whole coronavirus and the, and the late collections thing. Um, (laughs) because you know that I make my stuff in New York. So I have been truly unaffected, um, by, by all of this. But, um, if someone was honestly, I would just tell them to be really open with their retailers. If, um, if someone was, was saying that I'm, you know, I'm freaking out, I'm not going to meet my sales deadlines. I would say, you know, listen, your stores know what's going on tell them be open with them tell them to you know tell them we're delayed by x amount of weeks uh because of the virus um you know and and also understanding that it's not only you that's dealing with that situation impact fashion is an anomaly in that i produce in new york you know right most most of most of the companies that um that are my competitors that are your competitors are producing overseas and they're delayed so Like, so, so, and, and I that. like what you say, and that's, and that's exactly, you know, the advice that generally people will give, which is, you know, like be open with them. It's okay. Things will always work out. And we kind of say these things to ourselves, but the problem is that that anxiety still is inside and it doesn't get addressed. So doing things like tapping or breath work, and I talk about this a lot on my own podcast, uh, actually releases the anxiety from your subconscious mind so that when you actually go and say those things to the stores, you're not seeing it and freaking out inside and panicking and then creating more and more spirals of anxiety inside of you, but you're able to like breathe and be really at peace with yourself. So I definitely, you know, recommend for my own clients to do a lot of that subconscious kind of transformation and um, things like that just to help them really feel comfortable. That sounds very cool. I've actually never heard of tapping, so I'm I'm looking forward yeah, to Yeah, look it up. It's yeah, cool. to to looking it up and to look more and to learn more about it. You mentioned your podcast, um, which is also very fun uh, and another way that people can check you out. Um And they what, have to check out your podcast, right? You got you were featured there, so everybody that's go listen true. to Rifki. <laughs> that's true. There's lots of podcasts where you can listen yes. to Rifki. I'll link to the episode Yay. that I did with you in the show notes. Um Perfect. and you can if you're interested in listening to that, um we speak about how impact fashion got started. Um yeah, that was pretty much was what some we great covered. tips. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, there were some there were some really fun tips there about, you know, things that I did to to get stuff off mm-hmm. the ground. Aside mm-hmm. from the podcast, if somebody wants to learn more about you or learn more from you to be, where can they go? 
so they can check out the stunning success.com. That's the name of the podcast. And we've got all kinds of, we've got, you know, group coaching, individual coaching, all kinds of different stuff going on. And then the podcast is definitely a really great way to hear more about all this kind of stuff. Uh, and that is the stunning success. And that's anywhere that podcasts are distributed. Yeah. And it's, it's really fun one. I'm going to link to, like I said, my episode uh, and also the podcast at large in the show notes. Um, and I do highly recommend it. Sippy's a, a hoot and holler and fun to listen to. For um, <laughs> the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Sippy Gross, in your personal life, in your coaching, in the way that you move through the world, what does it mean to you to make an impact? The real truth is that to make an impact, you need to be yourself. Like that is the most important thing. Like for everyone who is religious or isn't religious, you know, God or source created you to do something really, really amazing in this world. And the more you tap into who you really are, what makes you comfortable, what makes you you, what makes you feel good and excited and inspired, the more you could do that, the more you create magic. And the more you try to be like everyone else, well, you're just like everyone else. And then you feel stifled and you feel stagnant and you feel stale and you feel like you're just wasting your potential. You're not sure what you're doing with your life. So the more you could tap into your uniqueness, that's what you're here for. That's why you're excited to share it and do it and be it. And that is my biggest, that is my biggest takeaway is really, really get to know who you are and share that. That is such a great point. And I'm so glad that you brought it out. Thank you for coming on today, Tiffany. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ricky. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. You can find links to the Stunning Success podcast, including my interview that I did with Tiffany a little while ago in the show notes. Swipe up to access those. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, feel free to check out what's new in the world of size inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating with your favorite part from this episode. It'll make my day. I promise. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Eskowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.